T-minus 10, 9, ignition sequence starts. Coming to you from a small undisclosed outpost somewhere in Radioland, it's Because I Said So. Parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved for American parents. John Rosemond. People like this are a menace to decent society. Call in now about anything from toddlers to teens, even your 20-something toddlers who refuse to stop sucking on the pacifier of your standard of living. Let's not talk about it in front of the boy. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. From American Family Radio Network, here's your host, John Rosemond. Hi, and welcome to the show, folks. I'm your host, John Roseman, and the show is Yes Call Because I Said So. If you are a first-time listener, let me tell you what we're doing here. The purpose of the show is to help you discipline your kids more effectively to get better disciplinary results with much, much less effort to help you better understand your children's behavior from a biblical non-psychological point of view, and along those same lines to help you bring biblical rather than psychological principles to your parenting. Finally, and as any regular listener knows, one of my primary purposes is to bust the many child-rearing myths and correct the proliferation of child-rearing misinformation that uh, have issued from America's mental health community over the last 50 years. All that and to have fun while we're at it. So into the show itself. I was walking my dog the other day. Uh, we walked through a parking lot along part of our, our route. And there in the parking lot was an SUV and there on the SUV's back window was the bumper sticker. I call it the bumper sticker. The bumper sticker reads, My child is in the honors program at such and such school. These obnoxious bumper stickers have been around for quite some time now. And that's what they are. They're obnoxious. First, nobody cares. Nobody cares that your child is in the honors program at his or her school. I shouldn't say nobody because you care, his grandparents care, maybe some other close relatives care, but you would not have to put a bumper sticker on your car for those people to know. So what's the point? Pray tell of telling thousands of complete strangers who don't care. That your child is in the honors program at such and such school. This is bragging. Let's face it. And people who drive around with these, my child is an honor student, blah, 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 bumper stickers are not just bragging about their children. Let's face it. They're bragging about themselves. These obnoxious, can't say that word too often where these bumper stickers are concerned. Bumper stickers are a way of telling people that your child is special and it follows, so are you. You are a very special parent 
to have such a very special child. Second, and because of my first point, this is a very, very narcissistic thing to do. Now, let me clarify that. Uh, One is capable, anyone, probably everyone, of doing narcissistic things without being a narcissist. So not everyone who drives around with these obnoxious bumper stickers on their cars is a narcissist. Some are, I'm sure. But not everyone. Nonetheless, it's a narcissistic thing to do. In other words, what I'm doing here is making a distinction between someone's character and someone's behavior. It's very narcissistic to call attention to yourself in this fashion. It's self-aggrandizing. It's unnecessarily self-aggrandizing. In other words, it's not nice. Third, and related to points one and two, it is decidedly disrespectful to drive around town with a sign on your car saying that you have something that other people don't have. In this case, you, who are such a special parent, you have a very special child who is an honor student. Not everybody in town has an honor student, and for you to drive around town with this sign on your car is just disrespectful. It's like driving around with a sign on your car saying, I live on the golf course at the country club, or... My husband makes $300,000 a year, does yours? Or, my husband and I own a second home in Vail, Colorado. Or, the people who drive around this car also own their very own jet airplane. Would you, if you were any of those people, drive around with any one of those signs on your car? No, you wouldn't. You would immediately recognize if your husband came home from work and told you he'd gotten a raise and was now making a quarter of a million dollars a year and handed you a bumper sticker and said, Babes, look, they gave me a bumper sticker. We put it on our car. And the bumper sticker read, My husband is now making a quarter million dollars a year. You would think that your husband had just suddenly lost his mind. You absolutely know that putting a bumper sticker on your car trumpeting your own accomplishments is disrespectful of other people. So why then, why then do people put these bumper stickers on their cars trumpeting their children's accomplishments? I'll answer my own question. Because these people have had a lapse of good common sense, that's why. Because these people have had a momentary or not-so-momentary narcissistic episode. Fourth, what is the significance of being in the honors program in the first place? I know of some very smart people who are honors students who are sitting in jail cells this very day. Being smart, being a good student, those things, let me assure you, they are nothing in God's eyes. Nothing. God does not care if your child is an honors student. He doesn't care that your child is a star athlete, that your child won an academic or athletic scholarship to very special university. So, from this perspective, which is a biblical perspective, putting this obnoxious bumper sticker on your car is a form of idolatry. 
These people worship their children, and they worship their children's accomplishments. And for that reason, I have several words for these people. Get over it. Get over it. What does God care about? He cares about your child's character. You want proof of that? Read Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7, and Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Impressing commandments on your child means impressing your child with the virtues that make up a godly character. To bring up your child in the training and instruction of the Lord, and that's Ephesians 6, 4, means the same thing. Where is the bumper sticker, my child is developing a godly character, or my child has good manners, and that's really all I care about? This bumper sticker, this my child is an honor student, blah, 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 is a comment on a world that puts achievement above character. That's a worldview sickness, folks, if you ask me. Just before the Babylonians conquered Judah and marched all of its inhabitants off to Babylon, the Hebrews of Palestine had developed a worldview sickness. Marching them off in defeat to Babylon was God's way of trying to wake them up. I'm John Roseman. The show is Because I Said So. The show exists to try and resurrect traditional, biblically-based parenting in America. And I hope I'm succeeding. You can call us at 404-419-6499. 404-419-6499. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. Hi there, and welcome back. I'm your host, John Roseman. Thanks for staying with us. The show is called Because I Said So. It's a show about what we in America today call parenting. Back in the early 1970s, we took a noun, parent, and we illegitimately turned it into a verb. And that was to reflect the fact that we were beginning to rely on experts to tell us how to raise kids, something that no generation of American parents or parents in any other culture, for that matter, had ever done before. And this is what we started to do in America in the late 60s and early 1970s. We started to rely on experts, people with capital letters after their names, usually in the psychological or pediatric professions to tell us how to raise kids. People like Thomas Gordon, the author of one of the biggest-selling parenting books of the 1970s, Parent Effectiveness Training. People like Dorothy Briggs, one of Tom Gordon's disciples, as a matter of fact, who wrote a book called Your Child's Self-Esteem and got the self-esteem virus released in America that uh, very, very toxic idea that it's a good thing to think highly of yourself and your accomplishments. What a ridiculous idea. Your Child's Self-Esteem, Dorothy Briggs, 1971. These were the books, and I could mention a few others, that kicked off what I call the psychological parenting revolution of the late 60s and early 1970s. And, you know, it took about the, the watershed book, was a book that was originally published in 
1965. The title was Between Parent and Child. The author was a Manhattan psychologist named Chaim Gannat. And no, that was not uh, static in your radio. That is how you pronounce his name, Chaim Gannat. And, of course, everybody thought, well, you know, Manhattan psychologist with a strange name, Dr. Chaim Gannat, must know what he's talking about. After all, he's from Manhattan, and he's got doctor in front of his name, and his name's kind of weird, like Sigmund Freud. And uh, so people, you know, bought his book, and his book, uh, as we would say today, went viral. And... the book described an entirely new approach to the raising of kids, and um, things have been going downhill from there. I was a graduate student uh, in psychology. I am a psychologist, for those of you who are joining the show for the first time. I'm a psychologist. I'm licensed by the North Carolina Psychology Board. Don't believe in psychology. Think psychology is a secular religion that you believe in by faith. I've lost all my faith in psychology. No psychological theory has ever been confirmed to be true. No psychological therapy has ever been proven effective. In fact, people are as likely statistically to get worse when they go see a counselor as they are to get better. And that's especially the case if you send a child to a therapist, let me assure you. I lost my faith in psychology many years ago. And somebody the other day said, uh, well, what caused you to, to lose your faith in psychology? Was it an event, a process? Well, it was a process. Started in about 1979. I began writing my newspaper column, which is nationally syndicated. Some of you may see it out there in the world. It's in about 200 newspapers around the country. And uh, it's weekly. I don't know what day of the week it's on in any given paper. But um, in, in many papers, it's called Living with Children. And I began writing this column in 1976 in my local paper in Gastonia, North Carolina, the Gaston Gazette. And uh, two years later, in 1978, the Charlotte Observer came to me and asked if they could... Uh, have the column, and I gave it to them. And a year later, the Charlotte Observer put it into national syndication, where it is today. And um, it was around 1979, a year after. And by the way, I was making no money. I was was just writing the column gratis, um, even after it went into syndication. And uh, uh, about a year after it went into syndication... Um, I wrote a column on spanking. And in the column, I had the temerity, according to my employer at the time, the Mecklenburg County Mental Health Center, Charlotte, North Carolina, I had the temerity to tell the truth. I had the temerity to say that the research that was coming out from the call them laboratories, uh, of very good researchers in America, uh, one of them being Diana Baumrind at the University of California, Berkeley, uh, was clearly saying what was 
then becoming very, very psychologically incorrect to say, and that was that uh, spanking did not have a negative effect on children, emotionally or otherwise, per se. That, uh, in fact, Bobrin found, and she has uh, consistently continued to find this same thing over the years, her research is probably the best research that's ever been done in parenting outcomes. Uh, her research was finding that, in fact, children who were occasionally spanked by loving parents, and, and both of those are operative here, occasionally and loving, that these children actually scored higher on measures of well-being than children whose parents never spanked. Oh, what an amazing thing that uh, psychologists were actually saying, and, and now we have another psychologist who's saying the same thing. His name is Bob Larzalari. He's at uh, one of the big universities in Oklahoma. So I wrote a newspaper column, and I said, uh, here's the research. And it confirms common sense because uh, we were now knowing that uh, as spanking presumably decreased in the American parenting population, that child mental health was deteriorating. It wasn't improving. And the morning after that column appeared in the Charlotte Observer, I was called into my boss's office. I was working as a staff psychologist and a program director at the Mecklenburg County, Charlotte, North Carolina Mental Health Center. And yes, I want them to know who they are. And um, my boss... Um, sits me down and tells me that uh, I have just caused tremendous harm to children, that I've given parents permission to abuse children, and uh, let me know that, uh, you know, the next time a raise came due or a promotion came available, I wasn't going to get the raise and I wasn't going to get the promotion. And as a consequence of that, I began to realize psychology, this is not a science. This is an ideology. People believe what they want to believe. They don't care what the research says. They don't care about science. And, you know, I had been naive enough uh, from the time I was in graduate school, and, and my graduate studies program emphasized the science of psychology. It emphasized research. It it emphasized a reliance on the scientific method. And so I had come out of graduate school with a great respect for researchers like Diana Baumrind, who were finding what uh, she was finding. And uh, I sat and I thought about this for a long time, and I thought, you know, this is just amazing. I mean, I began to have this epiphany that uh, my profession was wearing a mask. It was a masquerade. It was masquerading as a science when, in fact, it wasn't a science. And I can give you numerous examples of this. Uh, for example, self-esteem. All of the research that's been done over the last 20 years has indicated consistently, research done by very objective people, has indicated consistently that high self-esteem uh, predisposes a person to antisocial behavior. There is no research that indicates that behavior modification 
manipulating reward and punishment in order to arrive at certain behavioral outcomes. That's a very you know, psychological way of putting it. That behavior modification works on human beings. And so it was that event in 1979 in my boss's office at the Mecklenburg County Charlotte, North Carolina Mental Health Center that really caused me to begin understanding how bogus psychology was. And I still have a license to practice. My licensing board, as you can well imagine, they absolutely regret the day they ever gave me a license because I go around the country and I tell people the truth. Psychology is a secular religion. The most psychologists, especially of the clinical breed, don't care what uh, the research says because these people are ideologues. They're maintaining a pretense. They're maintaining a masquerade. They're wearing masks. And, uh, you know, the, the process of, of me, you know, completely turning around took many years. But uh, I believe that and I really do believe this. I believe that God has given me an assignment. And that may seem like a presumptuous thing to say, but I, I don't understand it any other way. How a guy who made straight A's in psychology school, graduate school, and uh, came out with this messianic fervor to save the world and believe that psychology was capable of that has turned 180 degrees and uh, embraces now a biblical worldview rather than a psychological worldview, I can explain it no other way other than God gave me an assignment. And part of that assignment is to help people understand that if we in America continue to raise children according to the psychological principles that were foisted on America's parenting community, in the late 60s and early 70s, we are going to continue having the problems and the heartbreak that we have been having in childrearing over that period of time. We have got to restore in America a biblical childrearing ethic, and that's what this program is all about, and we'll be back in a moment with more of this heretical and hopefully provocative and hopefully even sometimes humorous stuff. Stay with me. From American Family Radio Network, it's Because I Said So. Now, once again, here's your host, John Rosemond. So welcome back to the show, folks. I'm glad you stayed with us. The show is called Because I Said So. We're all about parenting. I'm your host, John Rosemond. And um, I received across my desk about uh, two weeks ago a article that appeared recently on, in fact, Sunday, December the 20th, 2015, in the Washington Post. It's an article titled, Replacing Parental Dictatorship with Discussion. Now, the reason I'm going to go over this with you on the air, it's there's a lot of reasons, but one of the primary reasons is that I'm often asked by people, 
if I think that the parenting pendulum in America, that's the way it's put, is swinging the other way. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, one of the themes that I constantly touch upon in this show and my public presentations, books, newspaper column, etc., every opportunity I get is the fact that in the late 60s and early 70s, we underwent what sociologists call a paradigm shift in America. And we became a postmodern progressive culture at that point. And the way this affected parenting was that prior to the 1960s, when the psychological parenting revolution began, we raised children in America according to biblical principle. In fact, even people who were not people of faith unwittingly raised their children according to biblical principle. These principles were embedded in American culture, and we shifted very dramatically in the late 60s and early 70s to a parenting paradigm that is based predominantly on psychological principle. And for more on that, I would recommend to you my book, Parenting by the Book. The book in the title is The Bible. Anyway, back to this article, Replacing Parental Dictatorship with Discussion. Elizabeth Bastos, B-A-S-T-O-S, is the author, and apparently she's a mom somewhere. So uh, she says, as a mother of two tweens, I've read all the books about discipline, but I've realized they are all forms of one idea, the control and management of children. Well, that's not what my book, Parenting by the Book, or my other book, which is specifically about discipline, one of my other books anyway, it's called The Well-Behaved Child. That's not what my book on discipline is about. It's not about the control of children at all. It's about providing proper leadership to children. Anyway, Bastos goes on to say, we all want to raise children who will become autonomous, courageous, compassionate, and deep thinkers when they become adults. Uh, okay. Citizens of a democracy, yes. Leaders of the world, uh, no, not necessarily. Uh, my feeling is that uh, all these leadership programs neglect the fact that uh, for every leader, there has to be at least 20 followers. Where are the followership programs in America's schools? But, okay, we'll go on. Yet, Bastos says, our discipline at home and at school still reflects the Industrial Revolution. Oh, really, does it? And she defines today's discipline at home and school as a clockwork of control through rewards and punishments where sitting still and simply doing what you are told reaps benefits. That's a very interesting definition of discipline. A clockwork of control through rewards and punishments where sitting still and simply doing what you are told might reap benefits. Though it may look like impeccable behavior and good discipline, she goes on to say, teaching kids to have their hands folded in their lap and to be yes men is dangerous and notice what she's doing here. She's setting up what is called 
a straw man, okay? A straw man, and now she's going to knock it over. The straw man is that discipline is all about rewards and punishments and teaching children to sit still quietly with her hands in their laps and say yes to everything that they are told by adults. That's what discipline is. Well, no, it's not. I don't know personally of uh, any parents who would uh, fit that description when it comes to the discipline of their children. Even parents who discipline extremely well and have very well-behaved children, none of them that I know in that category expect their children to be yes-men. None of them in that category expect their children to simply sit still and be quiet and put their hands in their laps and so on. So that's just ridiculous. But uh, she set up the straw man so that she can knock it over, okay? And that's what the purpose of a straw man is. Uh, She says, we're in the 21st century. Yes, we are. An era of new culture wars, innovation, terrorism, fundamentalism, The rise of the creative class, whatever that means, climate change, uh, increasing inequality, global citizenship, and disruption in higher education. Carrots and sticks discipline doesn't teach children how to think, engage, or interact with these big questions or become morally sophisticated people. Okay. Beyond the fact that uh, carrots and sticks discipline, she's right, it doesn't uh, work. I've said this many, many times, behavior modification does not work on human beings. Uh, This is what the psychological community wants us to believe. They began promoting this in the 1960s, and it is clear, or it should be clear to any observant parent that behavior modification does not work on human beings, Uh, that the use of punishments with children can backfire big time and the use of rewards with children can backfire big time. And we have plenty of research now to back up those two statements, which I have been saying for at least 30 years. Um, So in other words, Bastos, (laughs) she's describing something that really First of all, this type of discipline doesn't exist. This type of discipline that she's describing doesn't work. But she's not going in the direction that I would go, which is to say, you're right, this carrots and sticks approach doesn't work. Um, I don't know very many people who are using a carrots and sticks approach. What works with children is a, I'll repeat myself, confident, self-possessed display of leadership. As a parent, you first accept that your leadership of your children, your authority is legitimate. It has been assigned to you by God, the big guy himself, and uh that you do not, therefore, have to, for example, justify any decision you make to a child. Uh, you simply tell children what to do and the way it's going to be. And that's it. 
There's no long discussion, and if they demand to know why, you simply say, because that's the way I want it. That's what I have decided. And this is not open to discussion. I don't discuss my decisions with a 7-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 15-year-old. And uh, for the sake of my grandchildren, I hope that you won't discuss these things with your children either. So, yeah, let's just all accept that carrot and stick discipline doesn't work. And then she goes on to say, to raise adults who will negotiate these issues, remember climate change, global citizenship, and all these other uh, quasi and uh, not-so-quasi-socialist ideas, I'm reading Alfie Kahn's book, Beyond Discipline. Kahn is a professional radical and gadfly. Now, I don't know why she used that word, because gadfly means pest, a nuisance, an annoying person. He's the author of um, several books, and most recently, The Myth of the Spoiled Child, Challenging the Conventional Wisdom About Children and Parenting. Anyway, Bastos goes on to say that uh, Cohn advises that we have to trust each other in our homes and wrestle with what it means to live and learn together, deal with conflict, and practice the skills of conflict resolution. He argues that ultimately these experiences are more meaningful than a list of rules or guidelines. Okay, well, uh, what we're moving toward or what Bastos is moving toward here is the, and this is what Khan represents. It's the same old, same old drumbeat that's been coming out of the mental health, psychological community since uh, 1965, that the families ought to be democratic, there ought to be a leveling of the parent-child relationship, that uh, authority in the home ought to be shared equally between parent and child, that um, uh, every single decision is uh, subject to negotiation that uh, there is no such thing as the final word, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, especially adults having the final word, that everything should be discussed and that um, uh, through these discussions, supposedly, this uh, people will learn to live together. Uh, people will not have conflict because all conflict will be resolved through these discussions. Um And everyone will be a happy camper. Well, okay, I've been doing this thing called Parenting Expert since 1976. That would be 40 years this year. And I do not know of one person who has made this stuff work. Um, it's a utopian vision of uh, the family. It's a utopian vision of the parent-child relationship. The fact of the matter is that uh, children are incapable of negotiating with adults. They're incapable of it. Uh, The segment is uh, coming to a rapid close, folks, but I'm going to pick up right here when we come back. I'm your host, John Roseman. The show is Because I Said So. Email your questions to radio at rosemond.com that's radio at rosemond.com stay with us for more of this provocative uh, right wing politically incorrect stuff
Welcome back to the show, folks. John Rosemond here, your host. The show is Because I Said So. And we're a program that's all about parenting, carried exclusively on American Family Radio. If you'd like to join the show with your questions or comments, uh, feel free. Pick up the phone and dial us, 404-419-6499. That's 404-419-6499. You can email your questions to radio at rosemond.com. So I'm talking about this article that was sent to me. It's uh, The article is called Replacing Parental Dictatorship with Discussion, and it's by Elizabeth Bastos, uh, who apparently has no real qualifications other than she's a freelance writer, and she wrote this, and it was published in the Washington Post in December of 2015, so a couple of months ago. And she's talking about um, this... New novel, at least in her mind it is, uh, approach to discipline that is described in a book by a guy named Alfie Cohn. And uh, what Khan is doing, and a lot of other people are doing still in the field, is they are beating this uh, this egalitarian parenting re- parent-child relationship drum. Um, in 1971... I believe that was the year, Thomas Gordon published a book uh, titled Parent Effectiveness Training. It was the biggest selling parenting book of the 1970s. Shortly before that, one of his disciples, Dorothy Briggs, had published uh, the second biggest parenting seller of the 1970s, Your Child's Self-Esteem. And both of these people were Briggs and Gordon, were beating this uh, democratic family uh, drum. The idea that the parent-child relationship was a relationship between equals. And uh, this is a socialist uh, parenting vision, folks. This is a utopian parenting vision. It is a socialist parenting vision. And uh, basically, these people were saying the same thing concerning the family that uh, Karl Marx and his co-writer Engels, Frederick Engels, were saying in their writings in the 1800s concerning society, government, and culture. That, uh, you know, everybody needs to be an equal and uh, uh, everybody's going to get along. And if, if, uh, if, <laughs> in effect, if every decision in the family is negotiated. Well, Willie and I tried this uh, when we first became parents because when we became parents, I was in graduate school. Uh, I was 21 years old. I was intoxicated with the promise of my profession. I really did believe that psychology could be the savior of mankind. And uh, Willie and I started out our parenting journey trying to be egalitarian democratic parents. And by the time our first child, Eric, was three years old, uh, we realized we had failed to create democracy. We had created tyranny. It was the tyranny of a three-year-old who threw wild, I mean, not so wild, 
uh, tantrums when he didn't get his way, launching himself backwards, smacking his head into hard objects. Yeah, praise God that uh, that he, the big guy, has uh, anticipated all of this and uh, his design of the human being and keeps the... Uh, uh, the cranium soft for the first three or four years of life. Um, I, I mean, otherwise, Eric would have uh, been brain damaged. Uh, as a uh, as a consequence of God's design, Eric is just fine today, and he no longer throws tantrums uh, when he doesn't get his way. But I was saying earlier in the in the previous segment, I, I've been doing this parenting thing for for. Uh, 40 years as of the year 2016. I began writing my nationally syndicated newspaper column in 1976. And um, I will make this claim that I talk on a yearly basis about parenting issues to more parents in America than any other single individual. And that has been the case for an awfully long time. I have never met one person who has ever come up to me and said, John, we made that work. We made that democratic family, egalitarian um, parent-child relationship uh, stuff work. Um, it works in our family. We negotiate everything with our children, and we are all just a bunch of happy campers. Every single person I have ever talked to about this uh, and, and I'm talking about people who were seduced into attempting this socialist parenting style, has told me it was a complete and utter disaster, as it was for me and Willie and Eric, and for a few years, Amy as well, because we didn't get really, really uh, a handle on all this until our children were a little bit older. Eric was about 10, Amy was six, and we finally uh, belatedly came to grips with the fact that no matter how hard we worked to get this democratic family stuff to work, it wasn't going to work. And uh, that you can take that to the bank, folks. This stuff doesn't work. This is a fantasy that exists in certain people's heads. And these people, like Elizabeth Bastos, they are in a total state of denial. It's not working, but they're so intoxicated by how wonderful the whole thing sounds that they actually refuse to accept that it isn't working. And we all know people like this who just, uh, their, their parenting is a disaster, but they don't think so. But every single witness to their parenting is just going, what in the world is going on here? These people are, this family is insane. And the parents seem to be totally oblivious to it. And I've been there, done that. And this Elizabeth Blastos person who wrote this article, I'm going to tell you what it uh, what it's titled, again, you can look it up online if you want to and read the whole thing. Replacing Parental Dictatorship with Discussion, Elizabeth Bastos, B-A-S-T-O-S, Washington Post, December 2015. Now listen to this. I want you to listen to this. I told you these people are in a complete 
state of denial. Here's what she says. I've exchanged rules for more time-consuming, open-ended, nuanced, thoughtful conversation about what we want, if we want, and why. I've brought the kids in, as Alfie Cohn suggests. Next sentence, it's a mess. It's a mess. It's a complete mess in Bastos's home. But she thinks, erroneously, that if she just stays the course, it's all going to work out. Uh, no, Elizabeth, it's not going to work out. Uh, you've, uh, you've drunk the Kool-Aid. And by the way, even Bill O'Reilly doesn't know where the expression comes from. It comes from a book by Tom Wolfe called The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. Elizabeth, you're drinking the Kool-Aid, sweetie. And uh, you need to stop because uh, this is not going to turn out well for you. It has never turned out well for anyone. And you need to stop now before the snowball of family socialism uh, rolls so far downhill that you can't retrieve it. Here is more evidence that... uh, Elizabeth Blastos is in a complete state of denial. She says, uh, yes, building a beloved family community takes more time. And yes, it's messy. There's more active conflict and argument. But I'm okay with that. Do you hear the denial in this, folks? I mean, this is unbelievable. There's more argument. There's more conflict. It's a mess. But... Elizabeth just keeps right on drinking the Kool-Aid. Folks, this is exactly the kind of stuff. It's been coming out of the mental health community for 40 years or more. It is exactly the stuff that has made parenting a disaster in this country. And it is exactly why this radio program exists and why my ministry exists. I have dedicated myself to the eradication of this if it is the last thing I do. So uh, anyway, folks, uh, check it out online. It's an interesting article in its entirety, Replacing Parenting Dictatorship with Discussion. Elizabeth Bastos, Washington Post, December 2, which is one of the more socialist-leaning newspapers in America. So uh, who can uh, be surprised at that? Glad you could join us, folks, for another episode. Uh, This is uh, Because I Said So. We're about out of time, but before I leave, uh, I want to tell you about something that might be very helpful to your family, especially in light of what we've been talking about today. Uh, It's my latest book, Uh, Grandma Was Right After All. Parents, you are not your children's friends. Furthermore, parents... And not children should be at the center of attention in the family. In other words, children need to understand it's their job to pay attention to their parents more than it's their parents' job to pay attention to them. Uh, My books, uh, including the latest Grandma is Right After All, should help you with that issue and related issues. I'm John Roseman. This has been Because I Said So. And uh, thanks for joining our show. Next week, make plans to join us again at the same time, 5 o'clock Central on Saturday afternoon. Why? Because I said so.
from Creative Genius Productions and the American Family Radio Network.